If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? As always, the sponsor of this episode is Rise Nutrition with Angie Niska. You can find Rise Nutrition on Facebook at Rise Menominee, and that's Rise with a Z. And of course, for Jesus Never Ran listeners, get that free wellness profile by clicking in the link of the show notes. Again, that's Rise Nutrition. Find them on Facebook at Rise Menominee. All right, guys, going to switch it up today. I've got to share with you about my day today. Today, I had the huge opportunity. It's March 30th when I'm recording this, so you'll hear it about a week out or so, but today is March 30th as I'm recording. I literally just got back from Milwaukee where I had the great privilege of meeting a friend of mine after he got out of prison for 20 years. He was in prison for 20 years. He was incarcerated when he was 18 years old. Today, he is 38 years old. His entire adult life has been in prison. And today, I got to go down to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, it was Racine or somewhere around Racine. But I got to go down there and be there when he walked out of the prison. It was amazing. Now, I invited my family along. Invited, I've got two teenage girls. And I invited them to come along. They took the trip. They didn't come to the prison. But my oldest daughter, she was telling her girlfriend, oh, I'm heading down to Milwaukee with dad. And of course, her girlfriend's like, oh, what are you doing down there? And she said, oh, uh, dad's going down to see a friend of his because he's getting released from prison. And she's like, oh, how does your dad have a friend who's in prison? That's different. And then Macy's like, oh, it's nothing. He used to be a prison chaplain. And then she said, her girlfriend said, oh, and he made friends? And I absolutely did. So, but in order to get to the end of the story, we have to back way up and start at the beginning. I have had a couple of experiences in my earlier life of being in prisons. The first one was on a missions trip to Mexico. And we went to a Mexican prison, which was fine. It was interesting. The guys were wonderful. We prayed for people. I don't know. We probably played some music. I don't remember. It was like a million years ago. But then I was living in Minneapolis. I was working as a worship leader at a large church up there. And a friend of mine asked me to come play drums at a prison in just outside of Minneapolis. I said, absolutely. That sounds like a a great thing to do. I'd love to do that. And so I go to this prison and it just lit me on fire. I mean, it was so amazing. It was One of those experiences, for those of you who've been like a super dynamic setting, whether it's a concert or a worship setting or something like that, when people are just all 
in it, like in it to win it all there where they sing, but they're kind of singing and kind of shouting. It's somewhere in the middle. It was that type of experience. There's like such an urgency behind these guys singing. And after that was over, after we got done with that event, I remember leaving the prison and, you know, doing one of those things that you do where I said, God, that was awesome. If you ever want to open up that door, I'll run through it. And, you know, you got to be careful what you ask for, because just a couple years later, I am sitting in a big conference room at a medium security prison in an interview to be a prison chaplain. Now, in front of me, there was three people. There was two what I later came to know as higher-level security officers. So they were there. And then the person who would ultimately become my boss was there as well. Here's the interesting thing. And this isn't the first time I've done this. But I was completely unqualified for this position. I had never worked in a prison before. I told you the two times I was in prison before this interview. <laughs> so I had, I had no education in this space. Very, very little experience, if you can even call that experience. And so I had two things, which is what I've taken into every job interview I have. My sparkling personality, obviously, right? It's got me way more jobs than you can imagine. And direct eye contact. I always figure what you lack in education or experience, you can make up for in eye contact. The only problem is number one, these three people that were interviewing me, I'm sure they had all sorts of personality, but in their job setting, they sure did not show it. So there was just a general lack of personality as I would guess you would assume, right? And so showing off my personality in a room like that was going to be a little bit challenging. Second, the eye contact thing, I'm telling you, if you get an interview, anybody that's listening, if you're in an interview, eye contact, eye contact, eye contact. It's a game changer. Only problem is in this setting, all three of them were staring down, writing notes the entire time. I'm thinking I'm screwed. There's no way in hell I'm getting this job. But what I did is I would just scan the three of them. And every time they would even glimpse up a little bit, I would catch their eye and stare right in their eyes. And wouldn't you know it, wouldn't you know it, I landed the job. This young 30-something-year-old kid landed this job as a prison chaplain. I got the call. And I remember kind of laughing because I really didn't, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of thought maybe that was, that was going to happen, but it seemed so surreal because there was no way I should have gotten that job. So they give me some keys and they lead you into this door. And so I walk in this door and if you've never been in a prison, you, you maybe won't understand what I'm talking about, but you've probably heard it on television somewhere. And if you have been in prison, you definitely know what I'm talking about because there's this moment you walk in and that huge metal door closes behind you. And it's what I would call definitely an oh shit moment because <laughs> it sounds exactly like you think it would. And you're like, I am in here. I know on the other side of these doors are a bunch of inmates, a bunch of people who are in here for murder and rape and everything you can imagine and it's just me <laughs> with no experience at all and I end up working there for like seven eight years and still to this day minus what I'm currently doing right now that was one of the most dynamic amazing experiences of my life those seven or eight years I've got so many stories from those years so many life-changing moments from those years 
just an incredible, incredible time. Now, this seems like an appropriate place for a little music interlude. And I'm telling you, I've got my own taste, but I kind of know what kind of music Rod likes as well. So all music interludes for this podcast are with Rod in mind. Kick it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been staying strong on my feet, keeping my heels below my knees. But so in the prison system... There are jobs that the inmates can work. So they don't just sit around all day lifting weights like you see on TV or playing basketball. The vast majority of the people, men and women, incarcerated across the U.S. are able to work. Now, they don't make much money because they're getting their room and board paid for and things like that. But they make a little bit of money. And so I was a chaplain. And so in the chapel... We had people that worked for us. They were called our clerks. If I remember right, we had three of them. They were in charge of our library, of our scheduling, checking people in and out when they came and went, etc. And we hired this one guy, and he was just incredible. First of all, because I'm a huge fan of long dreadlocks. And this guy rocked dreadlocks like you wouldn't believe. So already I was in. Second, he was built like you wouldn't believe, like he worked out all the time. And I'm like this scrawny guy who's always trying to get bigger. I'm always trying to figure out the next workout that's actually going to work, even though I have 40 years of experience showing that nothing helps me not be skinny. But anyway, we, we hit it off right away. So he was a clerk. He was uh, in charge of the library, if I remember right. And the clerks would work into the evening. And so when other stuff was going on in the evening, I don't know, Jehovah's Witnesses came in the evening. There's Bible studies in the evening, choir practice in the evening, things like that. If he would get done with his work, we would just sit and hang out and chat. And I bet for the duration of my time working there, I mean, I, I don't even want to guess, but we chatted for hours upon hours upon hours. And I ended up doing one of the very important things that you're never supposed to do when you work at a prison, which is become friends with an inmate. And so Rod and I, the guy that I just got to see get out of prison today, Rod and I became really good friends. And if I'm honest, I became pretty good friends with a number of men that were incarcerated there because these are just human beings. These are amazing people who are doing time for usually this one thing that they did at one moment in their life. And I'm not going to get into Rod's case because it's a little bit of a joke. That's his story to tell. But 20 years for what he did is nothing short of a joke. So I'll have him on the podcast one of these days so he can share his story. But I was connecting with him. This was just earlier this year. And we were talking about his situation. And I said, the system is so broken. And that is why you are still in after nearly 20 years. And he responded to me. Chap, that's what he called me. He said, Chap. The prison system isn't broken. It was created to work like this. It is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. We need to break it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, the system's not broken. We need to break it. The system's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And he, unfortunately, has paid dearly for it. All right, backing up. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So Rod and I, we are kicking it. That's his words. Kicking it in the chapel. We're hanging out in the chapel, right? 
one of the things I love to do for guys that were incarcerated is figure out, okay, what are some of your passions? What are some of your dreams? And how can I help you go after those things? Well, one thing for Rod is he liked to write. He liked to be a bit of an activist. And so he was starting to engage in writing about prison reform to a nonprofit organization in Wisconsin. So he told me he was going to do this. So I said, all right, Rod, show it to me. I'd love to like proof it for you, help you, et cetera, et cetera. So I do that. We work on the letter. We go back and forth a little bit. He's typing it up. He's just doing a great job. He's, you know, just really passionate about what he's doing. He gets to the place where he feels really good about it. And then I do the thing that changed everything. We are all holy diamonds in the rough. So don't let these lies dictate who you love. What did I do, you might ask? Well, I took that letter that he wrote. He wrote it on the computer. He's just writing a letter on the computer like all of us do, right? Writes the letter on the computer. And what I did is I printed it for him. I printed a single piece of paper. But then, here's what happened. The problem is, Rod and I, we would get chatty. And so I hit print, and we just went back to chatting it up. Day was over, shut down the chapel, went home. Next day I show up, Rod is not there. Rod is never late for his job. I show up at work, Rod's supposed to be working, the guy doesn't show up. So I do what you do, you call down to where they live, that's called their unit. So I call down their unit, I said, hey, my clerk, Roderick, is not here, can you please send him up? And they said, no we can't because he got to segregation. I'm like so confused at this point because this guy also, never gets in trouble. During the seven years that I was there, the guy never got in trouble. So I'm thinking, what the heck? So I do what I can do. I leave the chapel and I go straight to segregation because a chaplain can visit anybody he wants at any time in segregation. So I'm like, I got to go there, make sure he's doing all right. And that's when I find out that he is locked up in segregation because of that single white sheet of paper that got left on the copy machine. Ah, so of course, Rod's not the only one in trouble. Apparently you can't print anything for inmates. So I get called in to the security dude's office and he said, what's this? And he puts the piece of paper in front of me. I got nothing to hide because I feel pretty good about what I'm doing here. Right. And so I say, this is what we're doing. This is what he is working on. He was done with his work in the chapel. I was helping him with this, printed it out, bada boom, bada bing. It's one piece of paper. Can't imagine this is a big deal. And these, my friends are the security officer, this higher up guy. These are his exact words. He said, well, here's the problem. Today, you print off a photocopy for him. Tomorrow, you bring in a gun for him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's like, that feels like a leap. That fe I feel like we missed some stuff in the middle there. I don't know that I could jump quite from the photocopy all the way to the gun. I think there would at least be some drugs in between, right? So I end up getting in quite a conversation over several meetings with several security people, and I'm not backing down because here's the thing. When I came to that prison, when I got that job, it's a weird job because... I'm there because I want to help these guys. They have me there because they want me to protect the Department of Corrections from getting sued. Ultimately, that's a chaplain's position in this day and age. So I really had this mindset that I'm just going to do what I think I'm supposed to do while I'm there. And if that gets me walked out, which is 
obviously means getting fired. If that gets me walked out, so be it. And again, be careful what you ask for. I wonder if the end is getting closer. So, like I said, we have several runarounds. They're all recorded, and it's the weirdest thing ever because they're not like recorded on a recording device. Like, there's a dude with pretty poor typing skills trying to type out what I'm saying. And I get a little fired up when people are accusing me of crap that I don't think I should be accused of. And so I'm like spitting it out. I'm like telling them where they're wrong and they're trying to tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> and the poor guy typing is like, I need you to say that again. I was like, I can't say it again. I'm just, I'm flowing here. I can't say that again. It was the weirdest thing ever. Anyway, we get done with that meeting. I'm like, there's no way this is this, this is crazy, I'm thinking. So I come into work a couple days later, and sure enough, there's even a higher-up security guard waiting for me at my office. And he said, grab your things. We're walking out. And so I'm like, here it is. This is the thing I said. This is the thing I said was going to happen if I did what I was supposed to do. So Rod Roderick gets shipped off to segregation ends up getting shipped out of that prison altogether because heaven forbid we're in the same space ever again and I get walked out. So I just naturally assumed that that was the end of my prison chaplaincy career. I, After I got walked out, I went to a flower shop. I think I grabbed some flowers and some candy maybe because I was getting home really early. I usually wouldn't get home till like 10 at night. I got home like way early and showed up at my house. I was like, daddy's home. And they're like, what happened? I was like, I'm pretty sure I just got fired. And we laughed and celebrated all at the same time. But apparently they don't know that when you walk somebody out, it's supposed to be permanent. And so they walked me out. And then about a week later, I got a call from the HR department said, oh, you can come back to work tomorrow. So I come back to work. It's really strange at this time because I felt like I got fired, come back to work. And then eventually I get called into the deputy warden's office and the deputy warden looks at me and this is around Christmas time. So Maddie's getting fired right around Christmas. So uh, deputy warden, he just, he just gives me the business. Like he is all serious. He tells me about how horrible it was. This thing that I did, this horrible single photocopy. How dare I do that? He said, he's very concerned for me, which I said, I appreciate that, but you don't need to be. And then he said, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a month of leave with no pay. And I looked at him. And it was around Christmas time, like I said, and he was handing out candy canes. And so what I did is I said, all right, I hear what you're saying. So I said, okay, could I get a candy cane? His look was utter confusion, as you can imagine. And he hands me a candy cane. And then I walked into my supervisor's office and just quit and walked myself out for good at that point. Because... That's just what I had to do. I'm not staying there. I'm not working for those guys anymore. It was a beautiful thing, though. I quit and then was able to stay there for uh, about another week. They did a send-off. The, the inmates had a service that I spoke at, and they prayed for me, and they sent me off almost like you're sending out a missionary. It was the coolest thing ever. I'll never forget those guys' hands on my shoulders praying for me to be a missionary outside of the prison walls. And it was unbelievable. I'll never forget that moment. So then I, I walk out, but I just kind of keep it in the back of my head. Like I am not done with this altogether. I'm not done with this altogether. And so I keep in contact with a number of guys from the prison and slowly, but surely, because most of it's letter writing, you lose track and people stop writing. It's hard for me to keep up as well, but I kept up 
with Rod. And I kept up with a couple of other guys as well. And so Rod and I continued to correspond over the seven years that happened since then. And then finally, we get to this year. And now we're at the point where we can talk on the phone and things like that. And it gets to this year. And I'll, I, oh, it was like the greatest moment when he called me up and said, I got a date. And what he meant was that they told him when he was getting out. And when he was getting out, friends, was March 30th, which just happened today. So he told me that a couple of months ago. So we've been on the phone a lot, just kind of talking through what that's going to be like. And like I said, it's his story to tell. But the man has been incarcerated for his entire adult life from age 18 to age 38, 20 years of his life. This has been coldest winter of my life dreams they have fallen like snow in the night so this morning i drive down to milwaukee i get to the prison that he's at and i find out where he's he's coming and rod's mom is there this little dynamo of a lady is there this last year we had covid so mom hasn't been able to see her son i mean he's been in prison for 20 years but she hasn't even been able to see him for over a year because of covid they wouldn't let any visitors and they haven't since i think last march so she is just you know she's talking to me about how she couldn't sleep last night she couldn't eat she's just so excited his sister pulls up, a couple of his friends pull up, and we're all just sitting there waiting. And I know that 20 years had to be a long time, but come on, Departments of Corrections, could you not let him out on time? The guy was supposed to get out at 9 o'clock. They let him out at like 20 after. Like You keep him for 20 years and you make him wait an extra 20 minutes? That's just cold, man. But anyway, there's this moment. We're all standing there, and his mom saw him first. He walks around the corner, and he's he's jacked up. So he just he's got this he's got this swagger when he walks, and you'll you know it's him when you see him. And his mom saw him, and she just starts running towards him. And because Rod's got a sense of humor, he said, "Mom, stop running! They might shoot you." <laughs> and then he comes out the gate, and he and his mom just embrace. And he's pulling this cart with like his few boxes of belongings he just lets it go and it's like just rolling out into the parking lot and they just embrace and one by one he starts embracing everybody and over and over he's like weeping and he's just shouting he said we did it we did it we did it everybody he hugs he's just saying we did it we did it and then he comes over to me and I swear I'm not much of a hugger this man gives me the longest hug I've ever had in my life and I just stayed there and I just enjoyed every second of a hug that comes from a guy that hasn't been free for 20 years and we get out of that embrace and he is just like stomping around the parking lot he just doesn't even know what to do and I'm sitting there going Rod what do you want to do what should we do he's like I have no idea let's just get some food to eat (laughs) and so it's just a beautiful beautiful morning I was able to go out have breakfast with his family just a beautiful time to just experience him experiencing freedom for the very first time in 20 years we must also realize that the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved 
without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. Oh, the greedy can't breathe they money when all the screen is dead. So you might be thinking, hey, Matt, nice story, inspirational story. Thanks for sharing, but what's it doing on Jesus Never Ran? And I would say, number one, <laughs> it's my damn podcast. I can talk about whatever the hell I want. But number two, we're going to get Rod on the show to share his experience because we have a big problem in our prison system. It's not just. It's not as it should be. We need to start talking about it. We really haven't talked much about it on this podcast. And that's partially because I've been waiting for the right person to begin the conversation. And I have a feeling Rod is that person. And then here's the full circle. As we walk alongside of prisoners who are in an unjust system, we are walking alongside of Jesus. As we stand up for people in an unjust prison system, we are standing up for Jesus. And as we love inmates, who are living in an unjust prison system. We are loving Jesus. Until next time, keep walking.